0: We are in the same text, we'll be in Genesis 9, 18 through 28 again, so you can go ahead and turn there. And and as I said, today is a sort of part two. So last time we saw how this episode was recounted by Moses, so Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. It was recounted by him to demonstrate that post-flood was not just a new creation that Noah and his people entered into, But also, as Adam fell in the garden, so after the flood, there is also a new fall as well. Not not in the garden, but in, in the vineyard, as it were. However, we argued last time that the fall envisioned was not so much the fall of Noah, as is often thought about this text. But we argued that it was more so the fall of Ham. And I won't rehash that today. That was a whole thing. You can go find that and listen to it if you're interested. But having cleared away some debris there, we're going to push deeper into what is the main point of this actual text. And I'm going to go ahead and reread the text so that it's fresh in our minds, even though we did so last time. Genesis 9, 18 through 28. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. That's interesting. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk or merry, as we showed last time, and lay uncovered in his text. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took the garments laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. This is the final word we get from Noah. All the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And gracious Father, we... Know that you make known to us the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we would pray that you would use your word today to confirm this truth in our hearts more than we already believe, that we would trust you, trust your word, trust your authority, trust that you are more committed to our ultimate joy than even we are, and that rebellion and sin really is the path to destruction, not just for us, but for those After us. And we pray it all in the strong name of Christ our Lord. And amen. Alpine winds swoop down from the north, struggling to uproot an ancient oak. They blow upon it from every side until its leaves strew the ground, and the strong trunk wood creaks. But the tree clings to the crag, and as high as its crest reaches to heaven, so deep do its roots stretch down into Tartarus. Does anyone know what that's from? Some of the students, I would imagine, do. It's from the Aeneid, which was written by Virgil about 25 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, and don't be too impressed, as I said. I wouldn't have known that either until I received a text message, which a picture of that paragraph from Mr. Nathan Haney this week. And it was accompanied by this text message from him as a commentary on it. He says, Virgil describing Aeneas resolve to depart from Carthage, despite his feelings and found the kingdom of Rome. Markedly, the message that continually spurs Aeneas on is not embrace your destiny and think of your glory. It is honor your father and think of your son. And that last sentence powerfully encapsulates the primary competing visions of life that exists. The first one being the vision of radical individualism, which is the default setting for our day, and it is the air that we breathe It's all about me. It's all about my glory and creating my own identity and creating my own happiness. And the only person I have a duty to be loyal to is myself, of course. Contrasted with a a covenantal godly vision that says, I recognize I have received a sacred inheritance from those who have gone before me. Both physically and spiritually, and so I am duty bound before God to pass it along to those who come after me. That my life won't turn out to be a vapor that just mists out in five seconds, but rather, my life will prove to be a well that then flows water down for generations to come. And as we think of these competing narratives, it helps us realize each one of us will leave an inheritance to those who will come after us the question is not whether we will but which one will it be will it be a blessing for them to build upon that's grounded in faith in Jesus Christ grounded on a lifetime of faithfulness to Christ or will it be a curse that they must overcome defined by faithlessness and selfishness and rejection of Christ and his glory and the word of God and And perhaps this reality of the inevitability of leaving an inheritance, not whether but which, for blessing or for cursing, has never seemed clearer in the scriptures than in our text today. Because Noah's three sons, so Shem and Ham and Japheth, are the three lines by which the entire world will be repopulated. So if 23 and me were more powerful, you know, that... DNA gene- genealogy software, it could trace all of us back to one of these three sons. That's, that's true. And our text today is going to end in a curse for one of these lines and then in a blessing for two of them based on what role they played in this episode that we just saw again. So before we consider the curse and the blessings, let us remember just quickly what provoked them. So as we said last week, we don't have a full detailed report about what happened completely in this incident, but we have enough to pin down the broad strokes. So Noah, the new Adam, was sleeping uncovered in his in his tent. Remember, that means not having his robe, his robe symbolizing authority on him. At which point, Ham went into his tent, observed his father's vulnerability, grasped for the garment, the robe, And then went outside of the tent to show his brothers and to try to enlist them in dishonoring their father. However, Shem and Japheth wanted nothing to do with this. So they took the garment, placed it back on their shoulders, walked backwards to preserve his dignity, and then covered him up. Not necessarily because he needed to be. Remember, he was in his own tent. He was already covered but to show that they were in submission to him and they sought to restore his honor as their patriarch. And it's at this point that Noah awakens and somehow understands what Ham did to him. We don't know how, perhaps Shem and Japheth told him, but when he understands, he puts on his robe again, as it were, and stands in his prophetic office and then pronounces a covenantal curse and covenantal blessings accordingly. And for us... It's a pretty clear picture of who we don't want to be in the story and who we do want to be in the story that God is writing for us today. And so we'll consider these in turn, the curse and the blessings. First comes the curse on Canaan, which is Ham's youngest son. When Noah awoke from his wine, this is verse 24, and knew what his youngest son Ham had done, he said, Cursed be Canaan. Servant of servants, shall he be to his brother. And last time we noted that the fact that the curse here is to his youngest son to be the lowest servant. So so not 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 a Christ like servant as in it's good to serve. But in a dishonorable servitude tells us that Ham's desire was to be highest in authority. So the punishment matches the crime. And there are two cautionary tales, at least. There are two cautionary tales here for us that I want to note. The cautionary tale of Ham's dishonoring of his father and the cautionary tale of the curse on his son's descendants. So first, the cautionary tale of Ham's dishonoring of his father. So the question must be asked, what was so terrible? What was so terrible about what Ham did? Because this is a hard curse. Surely this seems a bit severe. But in reality, if we will zoom out, we see that it actually makes sense and it reveals something about Ham's heart that had turned severely to a dark place because... Ham had a front row seat to the goodness and the grace of God in his life. Ham had a righteous father, the only righteous father in the entire world during that time. Ham was one of eight humans that were saved out of the entire globe from the wrath of God, was saved by God. And then God personally spoke a blessing and a benediction over Ham and the entire family, including Ham. Yet despite all of that, Ham's heart had grown envious of his father and rebellious toward his God. And this episode is fruit that reveals a rotten root that had developed. So we must understand that Ham did not wake up that morning just totally good with God in fellowship with his family, full of gratitude for God's goodness in his life and then accidentally fell into a little foolishness, like we all do, which can quickly be dealt with with 30 seconds of humble repentance. That was not what happened. No. Ham, one of the three sons who will repopulate the entire earth so the stakes are really high (laughs) about what's going to flow down from this person, he had gone over to the serpent's side. His actions show that he had no interest in preserving the seed of the woman. His worldview was not honor your father and remember your son. His actions sought to destroy the righteous seed. Grasp for your destiny and think of your honor, which is what the serpent always whispers because he knows that's the shadowed path to death. And so that's why the judgment here is so thorough. The stakes are really high. This man is going to be one of three to repopulate the entire earth, and he has a wicked serpent-bit heart. Also, this, the reason this judgment might seem harsh in our time is because our current generation does not believe that God was as serious about the fifth commandment as he really was, which says, Honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when Paul quotes that in Ephesians 6, he reminds them that this is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. He puts a highlighter on it. So do you believe that? Do you believe that God was serious about the fifth commandment and the promise or the curse That is attached to that. Do you believe that God's blessing will be upon you in a special way when you honor your father and your mother and and by extension, all elders in the church? I mean, age wise and of course, pastors, but all those over you that the Lord has placed there. Our culture thinks the fifth commandment is a joke. That's the entire spirit of the OK Boomer thing. That is a thumbing the nose at the generation that has gone before as out of touch and just totally idiotic in a lot of sense. Okay, boomer. Okay, elder. As if you would have anything to say to me. That's the posture of our culture by and large to those who've got one generation before us, our fathers and our mothers. But God was not joking when he gave the fifth commandment. He was very serious. And here's why it's directly connected to how it will go for you throughout your entire life. Honor your father and mother that it may go well for you. How is that directed? How is that connected, brother? Here's how, and this is really important. Because your father and your mother did not give themselves the authority they have. God gave them that authority to be a blessing to children and to children. Adults. So when we honor father and mother, we are really honoring the authority of the Lord. But it goes the opposite way. When we dishonor, when we disrespect, when we disregard, when we hold uh, in suspicion those who are placed above us by the Lord, it's not father or mother that we dishonor. It is the Lord that we are despising in that moment. That's why that promise and curse is so connected it going well with you that's why the bible says to children obey your parents in the lord for this is right or wives submit to your husbands as unto the lord or speaking of lawful civil authority let every person be subject to the governing authority for there is no authority except from god and those that exist have been instituted by god Every lawful authority that is over us in life, God has made clear explicitly, I put them there. So remember that. Your posture towards them, that's your posture towards me. So our posture towards the authority God has placed over us directly reveals our posture towards God's authority. And that's something we need to think carefully about. Which is why, again, the fifth commandment is so significant and comes with that promise of blessing for those who will humbly receive God's lordship and his authority over them, knowing it's for their good. So Ham is a cautionary tale for us. He did not honor his father. He dishonored him publicly, purposefully, and tried to enlist his brothers in it as well. And it did not go well for him in the land for a very long time. And now let's consider Canaan, whom the curse is actually applied to. And we must remember to to, to feel the gravity of this story that Moses is writing this for the people of Israel, the people who are about to enter into the promised land. And because the peoples of the promised land were so wicked and so pagan and so godless, they had to destroy them and purge them from the land. And what is the most common name for the people in the land, the Canaanites. So Moses is writing this for them, to instruct them. However, we must understand that Moses is not just writing about the curse on Canaan as a history, like, here's an interesting tidbit, this is where they came from, just so you know. No. He's also writing it as a cautionary tale to Israel, a cautionary tale of how small sins Seemingly small sins that go unacknowledged, unrepented of, never remain small. This is what he wants them to see. He lived for 350 years after this, and Moses doesn't say anything else about what he said. This is what he wants them to know. Because the Canaanites and the surrounding people were so astonishingly wicked, he wants them to see this is where it began. Now look at it. Here's just one example Deuteronomy 12 and 31 he's talking about what the people in the promised land do canaanites every abominable thing that the lord hates they have done for their gods for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods so you want to know how they got there this is where it started because you don't just wake up one morning and add that to the to-do list At 1 p.m I think we'll just do some child sacrifice No, where you find massive evil, if you will roll the tape back, you will find a day when it was just in seedling form, but it became a presumptuous sin. And this was a cautionary tale Moses is telling Israel, but tragically and ironically, they did not heed this cautionary tale. Israel fell into the Canaan curse, literally, because they had been told by God to completely drive them out. Of the Promised Land. How does the book of Judges begin in the first chapter? When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor but did not drive them out completely. Just in case you missed it, next verse Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer. Double repetition. And the book of Judges in large measure recounts the increasing corruption of Israel because like Ham, they would not fully submit to God's word or his authority, but decided to try to be their own authority. There is a way that seems right to a man. In the end, it is the path to death. And they got infected by the corruption of the Canaanites. And so saints of God, let us not be like Israel, but let us heed this cautionary tale that Moses is writing that Israel first did not heed. Let us be those who do not make peace with presumptuous sin. Let us be a people who take the machete of repentance to the weeds of small sins when they are small and when they can be cut down quickly and experience the blessing of God upon our land, not just for ourselves, but for the generations to come. However, though this curse on Canaan is, is very heavy, And very sorrowful. This is a heavy text. And a very real warning, not just for them, but for the church today. And we're seeing the sad fruit of not listening to it. This is not where Moses leaves us. Because graciously, curses are not the only thing that flow down generationally. Blessings do as well. And this text ends brimful of hope for the people of God. Verse 26 and 27, Noah also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. So we see, though one lineage has been cursed, there are two that have received the blessing. And these will prove to be very important verses in the history of humanity at large, because... As I said, through these three men, the entire world is going to be repopulated. And what we'll come to see is that these three men, men—Shem, Japheth, and Ham, or Canaan, they represent three types of humanity in the world. Canaan represents the wicked, those who totally reject Christ, want nothing to do with God and his salvation and his authority. And then there's Shem, who represents Israel, the people, the natural people of God. You know the word Semite or Semitic? That is literally Shemitic. That's what that means, from the line of Shem. And he's the one who the seed of the woman will come through. The Christ will come through the seed of Shem. He makes an appearance in Luke three thirty-six in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus, through Shem. And the language here of, of the tense of Shem is a picture of salvation. It is a picture of those who live under the blessing and the protection of God, the consolation of every human heart. It is a picture of Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So that's that's Canaan and Shem. But what about Japheth? Who is Japheth?